0: Today, we look at our eighth message in the series, Small Book and Big Ideas, Small Book and Big Ideas. And this book is filled with big ideas. We're going to add another one to the list tonight, but first of all, we're going to review the ones we've learned so far. And big idea number one, big idea number one is the joy test. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Beloved grandfatherly, Apostle John well into his 90s is saying, I'm writing these things to you So you will walk in this full, complete, perfect joy as Christians. I want you to have this full, perfect, complete joy. (sighs) Hopefully this isn't a newsflash for you. If you're miserable, you're missing something God has for you. God wants you to have full, complete, perfect joy. There is a pleasure, next slide, that produces happiness. It tends to come through the five senses and depends on external factors. It is based on happenings. It's based on what's going on in your life joy is not dependent upon circumstances but is based upon the confidence you have in your relationship with god and when you discover this joy that is rooted in your heart that has got nothing to do with what's going on out there when you discover that joy you can live and walk and move in a complete, full, perfect joy. You'll never have a full, complete, perfect joy if you're stuck in this place, and Pastor Jordan did a good job unwrapping this last weekend, of 1 John 2.16, where, where what you're living for is the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. If you're always thinking, man, I need more. I, I, I've got this, but I want more of what I got. You're always thinking, I don't have this, but I want that. You're always still wanting something. Your eyes see something. You've got to have it. If you're, if you're living for the pride of life and getting accomplishments and recognitions and everybody saying, look how good they're doing at their job. Look at the promotions they're getting. Look at the opportunities they have. If you're living for that stuff, you're going to be miserable. The Christian life is rooted and grounded in this perfect, full, complete joy that comes out of a relationship with him. He is our all in all. He is our all in all. He's the one who satisfies us. So first thing John is writing, the first big idea of this book is that we will walk in full, perfect, complete joy. It's the joy test. The second big idea in First John uh, is something we need to look at here and just stay on that screen for a little while. Uh, I want all of you to uh, do something now. You, you, don't, you don't need to do this loudly. Matter of fact, I think it's probably better you do it quietly but say it out loud, loud enough for you to at least hear your own voice. You with me? This is what I want you to say to yourself right now. I am not better than anyone else. You ready? Say it to yourself, shh, but say it loud enough so you can hear it. I am not better than anyone else. Didn't hear any of you. You're saying it too quiet, a little louder. I am not better than anyone else. Because we're not, we're not. One of the things that has hurt us Christians in terms of making an impact, being salt and light in the world, is we go out and amongst with a holier-than-thou attitude. We're not holier than anyone else. We aren't. Every one of us in this auditorium tonight, everyone listening online today, has sinned. It's without exception. It's without exception. None of us deserve or have the right to think we're better than any one else. We do sin. We do sin. John's clear about that at the end of John, end, end of First John chapter one. We all sin. What is the difference is that we call sin sin. What is the difference is we call sin sin. In a culture that calls darkness light, in a culture that calls sin right, we call sin, sin. We recognize the pain of sin. We recognize the disappointment of sin. We recognize that sin separates us from deep fellowship with God. We don't love sin. We don't love the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And we see that happening in our lives. It, it saddens us. It disturbs us inside. It, it, it sickens us. And because of that understanding, John, and this is the moral test, says the second reason I'm writing this book to you, chapter 2, verse 1, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. (laughs) Writing these things so you have full, complete, perfect joy. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But there's good news at the end of that verse. If any one of us does sin, which would be all of us, none of us are better than anyone else. If anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we see life completely differently. We see the difference between the temporary and the eternal. That is is clear to us. First John chapter uh, two and verse 17. Uh, says this to us. Next slide, please. The world with its values is passing away. The one who obeys God, the will of God, remains forever. Our our worldview is completely different. We're not placing our values in stuff down here, the five senses stuff. All of that stuff is, is passing away. We recognize life comes from obeying God, the will of God. And when you pursue the will of God, you pursue obedience to God, you enter into this life that remains forever life that remains forever. And now we come to the new big idea. Now we come to the new big idea, the third big idea of this book. And it's verse 26 of chapter 2. And I'm encouraging you to make a Bible your own Bible. Mark your Bible up here. Get a Bible, mark it up, make it your own Bible. Uh, I write these things. I write these things. This is the truth test to you about those who are trying to deceive you. John says, I'm writing this so you don't get deceived by all the stuff that's going on around you. Third big idea of this book I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you." So I have a bench I sit on um, most mornings a little bit in one of the parks here in North Saskatoon and early in the week I decided to read Matthew chapter 24. And this is what I read in verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Oh, says Jesus, you... You, you look at, at this marvelous temple, you look at all of these buildings, you're impressed by them, but there's a time coming when none of these buildings will be here. They'll be thrown down. And that happened in 70 AD, 70 AD. Seven years ago today, A number of the neighborhood family were with Pastor Donna and I in Israel. We're planning another trip to Israel. uh, 2023, probably. Start saving your pennies. Love to have you with us. You have to save a lot of pennies. And pennies are hard to find now. But get saving. And when we were there, I took this picture of... Donna, I found just out walking by myself <laughs> these big piles of stones and rocks outside the, uh, the temple wall. When I found my way back to the bus, I asked our guide, what are all those stones there for? And he said, that's from the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and we have purposely not moved a bunch of the rocks, so we'll remember what happened. Jesus said, there's a time coming when the temple buildings are gonna be torn down. Let's pick up the story and Read a little further, Matthew 24, verses 3 and 4. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, so let me just bring a little location for you here. If the foyer is the temple, the Mount of Olives is where I am. It's just across the street from the temple. The temple uh, and the Mount of Olives are about that far apart. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. In other words, he didn't go for a three-hour walk. And the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And the first thing Jesus says to them, is, see that no one leads you astray. See that no one leads you astray. One of the biggest things that's going to be happening as the return of the Lord gets closer and closer is there's going to be a whole lot more deception out there. There's going to be a whole lot more fake news. And so Jesus says, when when, when the end is really near, see that no one leads you astray. Matthew 24, verse number five, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Uh, English standard, that's King James, English standard version says, many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they'll lead many astray. So what happens when you get deceived, you get led astray. When you get deceived, you get led astray. Let sure, make sure, make sure that no one deceives you. The Apostle John heard that message with his own ears. He was there when Jesus said this, and now he's writing this to us. Verse number 26, 1 John 2, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 3, uh, an end times chapter says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. One of the major markers of the times that will come just before Jesus returns. One of the major markers is this spirit of deception that will be running rampant. Hear me, hear me clearly. John doesn't want us to get uh, swallowed by the spirit of deception that's going to be running rampant. On his heart. Now where does all this deception come from? Revelations chapter 12 and verse number 9. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, covering every base there, got all the titles down, the deceiver of the whole world. Where's this spirit of deception come from? It's from the evil one. It's from the ancient serpent. It's the one called the devil and Satan. This spirit of deception will run rampant. So next weekend, we begin a Christmas series here, and we'll take a little break from 1 John. We're going to begin the series. What a beautiful name. And then we're not going to pick 1 John up till the end of January because the first three weekends of January, because I think the church needs some teaching on this. I'm going to speak on troublesome times a study of the timelines and the events of biblical prophecy. Why? Because as the Lord's return gets nearer and nearer, there's going to be a lot of fake news, a lot of lies, a lot of deception. And Christians have got to know how to recognize truth from error. I'm writing these things to you. So that no one will be able to deceive you. So when I'm sitting on that park bench, I was reading out of the easy to read version. Now I'd never in my life heard of the easy-to-read version, but Marina, who's our director of our early learning, learning, learning childhood center who uh, come, comes to prayer meeting, she she loved to read out of the early to read version. So I'm reading out of the early easy to read, sorry, easy to read version on that park bench. And I read verse number three uh, of First uh, John of Matthew chapter 24. So it should be the next slide. See what comes up. Yeah. Later, Jesus was sitting at a place on the Mount of Olives. The followers came to be alone with him. They said, tell us when these things will happen and what will happen to prepare us for your coming and the end of time. What's the, what are the disciples' concerned? They want to be prepared for the end. They want to be prepared for the end. I want to suggest to you tonight whether we're days or years or decades or centuries from the Lord's turn that we don't want to get hurt in our Christian life, we want to be prepared. So I'm going to give you as I wind down here, and it'll take me a little while to get completely wound down, but I want to give you three things that'll help you not get hurt, that'll help you be prepared. You see, uh, there's times when you should be putting on your safety glasses and there are times you should be wearing your book, your uh, your work boots and your steel toed boots. There are times when you need to strap up, you need to be prepared for what you're doing. How do we be prepared for whatever's ahead? Number one, number one, we recognize uh, the demonic presence of the antichrist spirit in society. We recognize the demonic presence of the spirit, the antichrist spirit in society. First John two verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar, but he who denies Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son as the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Uh, Second John and verse number seven. Second John and verse number seven. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, Trinity, go up a verse, go back a verse. uh, The one that should have been, go one more, go one more. The antichrist, scripture is very clear, will come at the very end. So if you study Bible, we'll talk about this more in January, there's a time when the antichrist is coming and will take control and take power and take authority. But even now, friends, even now, there is the presence of antichrist spirits that we're all contending with every day. There are antichrist spirits that we are all contending with every day. And they come to deceive us and destroy us and lead us astray. They have no good plans for your life. They have no good plans for your life. So back now, go back, Trinity, to where I was. One of the ways you know a spirit is antichrist is is how they receive the teachings of Jesus and whether they receive Jesus at all. Oh, I, I don't, I, I believe Jesus was a nice guy. Uh, he came, but he's not God. He was just a, a nice prophet. They don't accept the, the, the leadership, the sovereignty, the divinity of Christ. Those spirits are anti-Christ. And they run rampant in our world. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, he was a good guy. He's got some nice teachings, but he's not God. And what John is saying in these verses is (laughs) if you don't recognize the Son as God, you don't even recognize the Father as God. So you're not recognizing God at all. The Antichrist spirit uh, wants to keep Jesus out of the picture. The Antichrist spirit wants to keep Jesus out of the picture. Friends, at the neighborhood, we love Jesus. At the neighborhood, we recognize Jesus is God. Jesus is God Almighty. And at the neighborhood church, our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we're here for. So you have to recognize there's this demonic presence of the Antichrist spirit in society. No place for Jesus. It's running full speed right now. They're calling darkness light. They're calling wrong right. It's a demonic Antichrist spirit. The second thing we need to do to not get hurt, second thing we need to do to be prepared is know the truth. First John chapter two and verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it because no lie is of the truth. John says, I, I'm writing to you guys and I'm glad to write to you because you know the truth and you understand there's no room for lies in your theology. There's no room for lies in your belief system. 1 John 2. And uh, verse number 14. I love this one. I write to your fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young man, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Why could these young men overcome the evil one? Because the word of God was strong in them. You've got to know the truth. You've got to be spending time in God's word. Friends, 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 hear me. You're a Christian, and you're serious about not being deceived. You have got to be a person who loves the Word of God and gets into the Word of God, who spends time in the Word of God. We've got to know the Word of God. Otherwise, you're not going to be prepared. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get deceived. Got to know the truth. Got to know the truth. John chapter 14, verse six, you've got to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You just get to know Jesus as well as you can because he is the truth. John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. How do you make sure you don't get deceived? (laughs) How do you know? You abide in God's word, you really get to know the scriptures. What what do we need to do to prepare for the end times? What's Jesus's, well, what's the first thing Jesus says? Well, understand there's going to be a lot of deception floating on around out there. Know the, know the truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you have heard, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. You've got to abide in Him. You've got to abide in God's word. This is where you live. This is where you dwell. Friends, and I'm not putting a timeline on this. I would suggest it's likely closer than further. (laughs) I'm not putting a timeline on this, but there is a time coming when things are gonna get troublesome and tough. If you think the last two years have been tough, there's troublesome times coming, difficult times coming. And the thing that is gonna help you make it is you haven't been one of those Christians who visit Jesus for an hour and a half on the weekend. The thing that'll sustain you is you've been abiding in Him. You spend your days in fellowship with Him. You spend your day walking with Him. You spend your night until you fall asleep talking to Him and you probably even every once in a while wake up still praying. You're abiding in Him. It's where you live. It's where you live. And then the third thing you need to do to make sure you don't get hurt is you keep your eyes on eternity. First John chapter two and verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. This is the promise he made to us, eternal life. Where are your eyes set upon? What are your eyes setting upon, set upon? Are you living with eternity on your heart? Or are you pursuing the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Are you investing in all this temporary stuff that's going to pass away, or is your life focused on things that are eternal? My good friend David Wells, best man at our wedding, is the general superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And he wrote an article that I read expressing concern that Christians are talking a lot about a new normal. What's the new normal gonna be? he says, as believers, we ought to be asking a different question. Question we should be asking is what is kingdom normal? What is kingdom normal? I would suggest to you that kingdom normal should have never, ever, ever changed. Because Jesus doesn't change. And his ways are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We just need to make sure we're living in kingdom normal. And Dr. Reverend David Wells says the kingdom normal involves three things. First of all, it involves the great command. The great command and uh, the great command is quite simple. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of the reasons we struggle as Christians is we uh, try to love God and love a bunch of other things too. We have to love God with all our heart, all our strength all our mind. Can you enjoy other things? Can you, can you find pleasure in other things? Yes. But nothing matters to you more than loving God. Devon, come help me here for a second. Keep your mask on. Come right on up here. Now, you aren't, so don't let your head get too big here, but for, for this illustration, you are God. Start start pulling me. That's all you want me to do? It's that simple? Okay. No. If, if, if the only commitment you've got is to loving God, there's no challenges here. Is your dad as strong as you? Come on up, we'll, <laughs> we'll find out here. <laughs> Father and son. You can, you can stand on this side of me. Bless you. Isn't dad looking sharp? Welcome him to the neighborhood tonight. <clears throat> now, you're God, and you're the world. And I kind of like the pride of life. Oh, I'll go to church Sunday morning. But it gets really hard to live if you're being pulled in two directions. It's going to rip you apart, friends. It will eventually rip you. Part. You have to love God. Give these guys a hand. Thank you. <clears throat> Kingdom normal is we love God with everything we got. Kingdom normal is a great requirement. Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. He's told you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So we live in the great commandment, we understand the great requirement, we understand how we live. We love justice, we're merciful with people. We have a couple in our church, Steve and Sheila. Been longtime neighborhoodians now. Sheila uh, retired a while back and she found retirement really, really difficult and really, really boring. And she asked God to give her something to do. And two hours every evening, four to six o'clock She goes and makes meals and serves food to the homeless people through the Ministry of the Salvation Army. Life is not just friends. I don't understand why I have a warm house. I have the greatest job in the world. We've got food in our fridge and jelly beans in the pantry. I mean, things are good, but there's lots of people things aren't so good for. And our requirement is to be moved with those who are in pain and those who ache and those who have less than us. It's a great commandment and the great requirement. I'll throw this out talked to Sheila this afternoon. She said, we've got people coming in off the streets who are freezing and they don't have a home. I have trouble understanding that, but they've got nowhere to sleep. And she said, the Salvation Army doesn't have enough blankets to give them when they leave leave after eating. I'll make this my responsibility, but if you've got some blankets that don't have holes in them, that haven't been outside of a cupboard for three or four years, why don't you bring them to church next Saturday? And let's help keep some of those unfortunate people warm this winter. It's how Christians live. It's required. And thirdly, it's the Great Commission. We go into all the world (laughs) preaching the gospel, baptizing people. In a moment, we're going to baptize again tonight. That's what we do. We go share the gospel. We baptize. We make disciples. That's kingdom normal. And it never should have become abnormal. And we never should have been driven by anything less. So I end with this. Uh, Pastor Donna takes being a grandma very, very seriously. She thinks it's one of the great opportunities of life to really invest in the next generation. And so she has our grandsons, granddaughters over once uh, one day a week or so. And one of the things we're working on them is teaching them how to pray and say grace before meals. So every Friday's Waffle Friday at the Drizner's. And I, uh, a little while back, got home late for Waffle Friday and my grandsons weren't impressed said, you missed the beginning, and they said, Isaac prayed. Isaac is our two-year-old grandson. And uh, after uh, he said, he, he's the one who said grace, Grandma said to him when he finished grace that Friday, good job, Isaac. I got there, and they are very concerned that I not just dive into my waffles. Grandpa, you need to say grace. So I said grace. And 25, 26-month-old Isaac said to me when I was done, Good job, Grandpa. Here's my heart for you. Here's my heart for us. that when it's all said and done, and we're standing before Almighty God, that God will look at us, us. And we won't have been deceived by the enemy. We won't have been tripped up by all the lies of the evil one. We won't have been led astray. But God will look at us, and He'll say, Way to go, you guys really pursued the great command, the great requirement, and the great commission. Good job, neighborhood. I write these things to you, so you will not be deceived. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. And why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to just protect you and keep you safe and help you to keep first things first. These are the things that matter.